last night. I played a game called Signs, maybe? Was that what it was called? Sort of a neurotic, intense game. Hard to shut down after that. I think I was lying in bed like, is, is someone throwing me a ball? <laughs> My sign was this right here, so I don't know. It was, it was hard to shut down. I laid there, and I was just tossing and turning, and that's a stressful game, <laughs> especially when you're in the middle of that circle. So really enjoyed the time here with you all. Thanks for including us in, in your uh, spring break. And th- this, what, I think what this did for me was it, it sort of pumped me up more about the possibility of another Christian challenge at UC Riverside. Um, we've had a few at different points through the years, but uh, there's not one currently. And one of the main reasons we moved to Riverside was the fact that there was uh, a large state school there. And we wanted to sort of be a little, we planted in Riverside, which is where I went to college, but we planted about 15 to 20 minutes intentionally away from the college I went to, and if possible, as close as we could to, to UC Riverside, but in a neighborhood. And so uh, Orange Crest is this neighborhood we moved to. And we did that because we really had hoped that at some point God would put something there long term that we could partner and run with. And so this really has encouraged me because it it just reminded me of the great need that there is for something like this uh, all throughout our state. And so you guys really are uh, a part of something that is, uh, it, it really has and can inspire others that are fearful of stepping out to launch something like this. And so your involvement in this and your participation, your growth in this, I think is just going to carry on. And I met recently with Neil, and there's a guy in my church who senses a call towards launching a campus ministry at UC Riverside, and we're still praying and waiting on God to give the green light. But uh, this only just kind of con- confirmed more that, yes, uh, this, is, this is a real need. And so it's, it's, you guys are real. Uh, you've been a real encouragement. I want to wrap up my portion of, of this time by looking carefully at 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. And so just, and I want to walk slowly through it. And I want to start at the beginning of the chapter 4. We, we walked through most of this last night, but let's look at, from verse 1, it says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, Paul says, I give you this charge, Timothy. And we looked at this last night. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. You know, and guard what's guard the word. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth. And turn aside to myths. And then we come to verse 5. He says, but you. So others have turned. As opposed to those who've turned aside, those who turned away. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For this session, what I want to do is I want to... Look at the verse in the New Living Translation, sort of piece by piece. So here it is in the New Living Translation. It says, Timothy, but you 
should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. I want to walk through this just sort of piece by piece so you see that in your handout there. He starts with, but you. Others are going to get squirrely, Paul's saying. People are going to get squirrely. People are going to peel off. People that you thought were with you aren't going to remain with you. And this is just really, really true in our lives. There are people that are, you're running alongside, and all of a sudden you look around, and they've, they've gotten squirrely, and they've peeled off. And Paul experienced that, and so he could tell Timothy, look, this is what will happen, but, but you, and there's just a clear contrast to that other group that, that is laid out in verses 3 and 4 of those who have turned aside. Paul had seen that happen, and, and you know, in the years of my life, uh, I've seen that over and over. People just peel off. And some of my closest friends, when we first, uh, I was married early. I was married at, at 21, just about to turn 22. And uh, the first year of marriage, uh, a mentor of us of ours, uh, I invited to take with four other couples up to the mountains to talk about uh, marriage and to talk about being living on mission for God. And so this mentor and his wife spoke into our lives over a weekend. And, and, but he looked at us and he said, he said, two of you couples probably will be divorced within 10 years. And, and maybe one or two of you won't even be walking with God. He said, just, he said, I've been there. I've, I've seen this. And I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. 20 years has gone and passed, and I just gathered with three of those five friends. Everybody is still married. One is barely hanging on. Uh, one of the individuals is not walking with God anymore. I mean, he, he, was, he, he nailed it on, on some levels as far as the, those who are peeling off. And it's sort of a miracle to, to see things and friends stay intact and, and you see this pressure, and, and Paul's preparing Timothy for it. He's saying, Timothy, what if all of your friends, like for all of you right here, what, what if, that's a great question, what if the person beside you peels off? Well, what if the person uh, that has, you know, those, the group around you, what if they peel off? What if they go squirrely? This is why Paul's saying, but you, there's really a power in the personal charge that, that he's giving Timothy right here. It's, it's very different when someone gets up close to us and charges us like, like Paul is doing. It's the difference between a, a coach pulling the whole team together, huddling them and saying, okay, here's the play. And he lays out the play. He shows them what we're going to do. Now get back out there and do it. When, when you're on the team... If you fail to deliver, to deliver, the whole team sort of, you know, has failed to deliver. So you all fail sort of together. But it's different when the coach pulls one guy aside and said, you've got to deliver right now. I need you to get in there and do this. It's, 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 it's on you. And so Paul, in some ways, he's really charging very strongly Timothy as an individual. Sort of the difference between Neil maybe speaking to the entire group and charging the entire group or drawing alongside of you and just saying, hey, Dakota, you, we need you right now. Or just calling out anyone by name and one-on-one, -on -one, looking you in the eye. And that, that there's a power there when, when someone does that. 
in your life, whether it's whether it's the person who's investing you, a senior investing in a freshman, or what's one of the leaders or the director that just comes up alongside and looks you in the eye and says, it's your time. You right now, we need you. That's, what, that's what's happening here. He's, he's sort of handing off the ball to Timothy. And so if you need an image in your mind as we look and really personalize this verse to, to our own lives, think of the leader who carries that weight in your life. And imagine them charging you in the way that Paul is charging Timothy. And now that that person has your attention, okay, so they're looking you in the eye. Let's move forward. They're saying to you, keep a clear mind. Keep a clear mind in every situation. You do this because you make, they say you make plans in the peacetime because the fog of war comes and we can't really see clearly what to do. So you have to prepare your mind beforehand. You make and you set your priorities in the peacetime so that you can manage and stay clear and focused when the war strikes. And, and so the word that Paul is using here literally is, it means sober up. Keep a clear mind. Sober up. Be free of intoxication. This can apply to anything that clouds our, our thinking, our judgment. Anything that, that clouds our mind. Whatever that is. That, that we can... You know, we could run down the list of things that could capture our mind and our attention and, and, and sort of influence us. So any controlling substance, the issue is that whenever I'm under control, I'm, I'm unable to act. If I'm, if I'm distracted, if I'm cloudy and there's a need that strikes or a need that crops up, I'm not at my best. I'm not able to step into action. I'm not able to do anything about it because I'm sort of dulled in my senses. I'm unable to respond. So this applies to anything that sort of has the controlling power over our emotions, over our desires. And so the big question we have to wrestle with is, how will we master our mind? What do we do to, to master our mind? You know, you, you know I learned uh, in a discipleship group years ago at Church in the Valley how to get a firm whip, uh, whip firm grip on, on the Word of God. And you know, the hear, read, study, memorize, meditate, apply. And that, that, is, uh, that is a part of this. Getting a grip on your mind is having a firm grip on the Word of God. So seasons like this or retreats like this really help just reinforce. And, and I think even just remind us to go back to that. Just as, as, as you know, Bree was sharing, you know, a moment ago. It's like it's never bad to get back to the basics on these things. This is how we keep a clear mind. But this season of your life right now is the time to do that. This is the season to build the patterns in your life, the disciplines in your life. It's not, it's not that it's, <clears throat> I mean, life is going to get more and more complex. Just ask the leaders in, in your life how that's looked. And I know from my experience, uh, my church is a, is a pretty young church. I mean, the, the people that attend our church are fairly young. And the younger that we catch people and, and are able to begin training people, uh, the more often it seems to stick in their lives, which I think is the brilliance of, again, a campus ministry, a healthy campus ministry. You're catching people at a time of life when they can build the disciplines uh, before life gets more and more complex. And you're, you're not always going to have this group around you cheering you on. You're not always going to have something like this, but you're training your mind right now. To be prepared for wherever God takes you, God's gonna God's gonna root some of you right in Southern California. You're you're gonna partner with 
uh, a church and you're going to invest deeply and you're going you're gonna to pour your life and go shoulder to shoulder for God's kingdom in an area. Some of you, God's going to scatter around the world, scatter around our state. Some of you are going to go home and you have a sense already that God is calling you to go home and to reach your friends, to reach your family, to, to be a light in your community. Uh, but right now you're just, you're getting clear in your mind. You're preparing your mind for that. And it's, it's progress. You're trying to make progress, not, not perfection, but keep at it. I want to encourage you to keep at it in your disciplines. Then Paul tells Timothy that this. He says, don't be afraid of suffering. Don't be afraid of suffering. There's, there's a problem right now in our world where, where people just want to take it easy. And maybe that's the current appeal of, of this, of the escape room. See the picture up here? You ever done the escape room? Yeah. Maybe that's the appeal. It's like, you know, we don't like being boxed in. We don't like being trapped in a room. I've never done an escape room. Life is hard enough. I don't need more. <laughs> I don't need more. I don't need to be <laughs> chained in some room. Uh. But we live our lives trying to escape trouble. We we live trying to escape what's difficult. We, we live trying to steer past suffering and difficult seasons. But that's actually where the real growth and the opportunities to advance are found. It's, 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 in, it's, it's often in the suffering. It's, and it's best so in the Christian life, it's best that you just prepare yourself for a fight. Prepare for a fight. A few days before we had our grand opening of our church, I was in Fort Worth, Texas at, at Pastor Harold Bullock's church. He'd asked me to come and speak, and so I, I was there. And at that point, at the end of service, he pulled me aside and he said, Hey, Josh. And I, it was, it was, you know, I was thinking, are we ready for launching this church? We've, we've, prepared the ground. We've had a series of previous services, and then this upcoming Sunday, we're about to launch and have weekly services, have a grand opening. Spent a lot of money on, on it up to that point. There was a lot of money invested in our grand opening, and I was, I was frankly, pretty nervous. And, and he said, you know, Josh, you've trained for this. You're ready for this. And he said, and the enemy is going to throw everything he can at you. And so he said, so in the words of Tom Petty, don't back down. <laughs> he looked me in the eyes and he said, don't back down. He said, I'm serious. He, the enemy is going to throw everything that he can at you to stop you and to stop this work. You don't, don't back down. And, and we've seen that. He wasn't exaggerating. I, it has been a fight for 11 years on, on all fronts. And... And I don't need to be afraid of this suffering. I don't need to be afraid of the attack, and you don't either. But I need to be aware of it. Because if I don't think that is real, then I try to escape as fast as I can out from under pressure and out from under trouble and out from under suffering. But if God has prepared us for that and we know what we're heading into, we can endure anything. If, we, if we're looking for life on earth to be trouble-free, then we're going to be disappointed on earth Take a look at this graphic from, from Harold Bullock. This is a diagram showing some of the usual attacks of followers of Jesus. 
These are some of the things you just, you can expect are coming your, your way. You're not going to be able to escape all of these things. These are just going to hit you. And I don't know if you can read it also. I'll just help you. Uh, at the top you see persecution. Persecution, it reads, pressure to conform to the world's values and thinking from family, jobs, friends, media, using threats, false logic, appeal to the need to belong. You know, we often think persecution like, uh, I've never been persecuted, but in the definition of persecution, I mean, has anyone experienced that before? Persecution in that way? Yeah. Where you... You feel this pressure, like I'm going, the, I'm going another direction, and people are really trying to threaten and force me to go the direction of the world. Or to the right, false teachers and apostles giving out false teaching, especially legalism and syncretism. You'll, you'll be trying to advance God's kingdom, and then there'll be, a, there'll be people that seem like they're doing the same thing, that they're sharing the same truth, but there's a slight twist. There is Jesus plus something else. And... and, and that will throw some confusion. Some other forms of attack, temptation to personal sin. In action, in thought or attitude, using situations, thoughts, wrong friends. There'll be some difficulty. There'll be some areas of your life that you're just gonna have a really difficult time. In the flesh, you're gonna you're gonna feel this real war in the flesh. And the battle of the flesh, you, you have to draw on God's resources. God's spirit lives inside of you. The way you win the war against the flesh, which is one of your enemies, is you feed the spirit who lives inside of you. You feed the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs, he needs us to feed on God's word. He needs us to invest time in prayer. That feeds the spirit of God, and it starves the flesh that lives in you. But you're going to battle with the flesh your whole life. False religious experiences offered as genuine, so false experiences this is prophecy, miracles, visions, appearances, guidance, revelation, tongues, healings. There are certain things that will be false. Direct attack by the demonic, physically, mentally, spiritually. If you're trying to make things move forward, you're, gonna, you're not going to be able to escape that. Division, rotten relationships within the body of Christ. And you see sinful lifestyle. And so... There, there, there is just there's an attack that that you will not be able to to escape from facing. You'll have to endure that. So there'll be trials, there'll be suffering that rarely lets up. And if you're moving, if you're committed to moving Christ's mission forward, in fact, if you if you decide even in your college years to help this ministry move forward, you can count on the attack coming your direction in these years, not just after you're away from Christian Challenge, but in these years, you'll experience a fair amount of attack and suffering. The closer you move towards uh, leadership and being handed more responsibility, the, the closer your life moves to the center of the bullseye of the target of the enemy. Recently, I was sitting with a friend who, who's, he, he had a sense early on that God was calling him to ministry. So he started training for ministry, but he, uh, right out of college, he started training for ministry, but uh, and he was married really early, started having a lot of kids. He was really struggling to provide for his family. And so he had to pause on ministry training in the formal sense. And he began to try to build a business. And uh, he's just struggling and struggling. And, uh, but he, he has this strong sense that God has called him to do something with his life for ministry. And it just seems like 
the pressure is on. The heat is constantly high. Just, the heat of suffering is turned up in his life. And so his family seems like he's constantly enduring some unexplainable sickness. The doctors can't figure out what the issues are. They, they'll, they'll be, uh, it'll let up, it'll come back. So I recently was flying in uh, back in Southern California, and I turned on my phone once the flight landed, and a bunch of texts started coming in from this guy, and he was just sending a group text out. It was about 1130 at night, just saying, would you pray for us? And it was to a group of us men at our church. Our daughter's just crying uncontrollably in the bedroom. She's having something bother her in her eye, and it just won't stop. We don't know what to do. And they're just they're worn down at this point because this is a few years of, of difficulties like that. So I'm driving home, and the Lord just said, drive there and, and go and pray. And so I went to their, I just pulled into their driveway, and I was texting them, hey, I'd love to come in and pray for you guys. But they weren't responding to the text. And so I was just outside praying in the driveway, and 20 minutes go by, and, and he comes out, and he says, oh. <laughs> and I said, can I come in? So I came in. I could hear his daughter crying, and she's not even awake. She's just moaning. It looked like she's asleep, but she's moaning. And, and what's going on? Just this persistent eye problem. So I said, why don't you go get her and let's, let's pray for her. And so they get her and they bring her in. And we saw all three put our hands on their daughter. And immediately, and we prayed against, if this is an attack from the enemy, then, then we command you to stop right now in the name of Christ Jesus. And immediately, she stops. She falls asleep. She's calm. I stayed there for about an hour, prayed together, visited with them, tried to encourage them. And, you know, you can't always explain, well, what, what is going on here? Why is this? Is this just physical? Is this spiritual? You know, you, sometimes you don't really know what, what it is. But these people were wearing down, and, and I'm, I get concerned when I start seeing this continue on and on. And so I just try to, tr- I try to be present. I try to encourage. I try to keep people going. There will be points in your life when you're going to be wearing down because of suffering. And you got to stay in the fight. you got to stay alert mentally, physically. You need to get sleep. You need to keep up on discipline. Socially, you can't isolate yourself. That's one of the things with this couple is they get isolated socially. And then they're open for just an onslaught of, of attack. And they don't have people around them. So he says to be prepared on that front. Don't be afraid of suffering. Then he shifts, he says this, he attaches this to that idea. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Now this answers the why and for whom are we suffering. It's for the Lord. Persistent attack, persistent spiritual warfare is an indication that you're, you're on the right track. We don't tend to think that way. It's like, oh man, this person's got problems. What did they do what? What do they do wrong? That's just sort of the way that the world looks at this. I mean, if you looked at Paul's life, you would say, what did you do wrong to deserve all of this? Well, Paul was on the right track, and he endured much suffering. But he did it with a perspective that it wasn't just for nothing. It was for the Lord. For the Lord. Sometimes we suffer, and it's because of our stupid decisions. When we peel back the layers of what happened here, sometimes we realize, oops, 
that was just a dumb decision. Sometimes we suffer because we sin. Sometimes we suffer because of the curse of sin and just the ripple effect on the world. And so there's diseases and there's sickness and there's things that we can trace back to sin. And so what we do is we ask God, God, would you help me through this? Would you help me to bear up under the pressure of the suffering that we're in right now? And I know this will let up. Just as Alexis was reminding us in the songs, there will be a day when that will let up. But for now, we suffer for the Lord. So don't, don't give up. If you, play, if you play a key role, if you keep moving towards, I want to I make my life count for the kingdom, then you can count on suffering being a part of your life. And Jesus is, is our model. Jesus was willing to suffer for us. It pleased him. It pleases him when we willingly suffer for him. About six, maybe seven years ago, we reached a family. We helped reach a family who, who committed their lives to Christ. It seemed like just a real struggle to, to help them come to Christ, but they came to Christ. Their kids started uh, asking more spiritual questions. But then there was this uh, constant struggle with gossip and slander about, about me or about my family from this family. And so we sit down with this family. They'd be slandering us. Very hurtful stuff. And uh, every time it happened, I'd have to pull in other leaders because of what they were saying. Because it was just, I needed to pull in others to help, help us mediate conversations. So we'd sit down, and we'd have these situations where we'd sit across the table, me and my wife and this guy and his wife. And leaders would sort of help us navigate. And then the couple would say, you know what, we're so sorry. We were wrong for doing that. Would you forgive us? We're just freaking out. We don't know why, but we just have all this fear and stuff that, for whatever reason, we're just really battling. And so they'd clear it up, and we'd say, okay, we're, we're okay. We'll move forward. A few days go by, gossip and slander again. And we do this again. We do this again. And, and they would spread these things around that weren't true, but we would just walk through it. And someone pointed me to Matthew 5, 11, or 10 through 12. I'll just read it to you. Because I asked a guy, I said, man, this is, this is wearing me out. <laughs> and he said, Josh, read, read Matthew 5, 10 through 12. It says, blessed are those, this is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus is saying, when, when they do that, when you're doing it for the Lord, they do this because of me, verse 12, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that, that guy, he said, Josh, you know, whenever you're persecuted in that way, whenever you're slandered, he said, just rejoice. It's double blessing, according to Jesus. You're blessed in this life, and you're blessed in eternity. But it's for the Lord. You have to keep the perspective that this is, it's for the Lord. I don't always understand why, but whenever we suffer, we're very much like Jesus. In, in, in suffering, we reflect him. We, we, we identify with, with what he walked through on a small scale. It's precious. But God's perspective is that trouble is the tool often that God just uses to train us to train us and to shape us. So just don't look for a way out. Rejoice instead and ask God to strengthen you. 
and show you what would please him now. So keep fighting. Hang in there. Next phrase here is this. It's the phrase, work at telling others the good news. The NIV, it, it says, it reads, do the work of an evangelist, but the NLT, and the, the NIV sort of makes it sound like this is only for pastors or for those evangelists, the titled evangelists with the gift. But the original language, it really does widen this idea out. This applies to all of us. So keep working at telling others the good news. Your circumstances are constantly in flux. They're constantly changing. And so I would just encourage you, take a fresh look around your workplace. Take a fresh look around your classes and your 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 living quarters, your dorms, your, uh, your, you know, maybe not your block, depending on where you live. I mean, some, from what I've heard, sometimes it's not safe to walk outside. Some of your, some of your houses, but at least that's what I heard. I don't know if that's true, but, but take a fresh look around your places. What, where are those places where God has, has put you? Work at telling others the good news. Where can God use you? Where is, where can God use you to reach out right now on your campus? We may not always have this in our mind, but we, but we have we have what people need. We we have the hope of the world. I want to show you a video. This is from it's a man named Penn. You know Penn and Teller. Have you ever heard of Penn and Teller, the Las Vegas entertainers? They're these magicians. Um, Penn is an atheist. He's still an atheist, as far as I know. But he shares a story after one of his shows about someone who went up and, and gave a Bible to him. And he talks about, he uses the word proselytizing. He's just saying, this person was evangelizing me. This person was trying to share with me. And so he's using the term proselytize, not one that we often use. But so he's going to describe this encounter with someone who took the risk and, and shared the good news with him and really tried to offer him hope and life. And so the, the video might not be the greatest quality. We're having some challenges with it, but let's listen. It's about a four, four to five minute video. Maybe, maybe respond to the person next to you. What are your thoughts on that? The word work, you see the word work there, work at telling others that work. The point here, I think work is not Easy. Work is not play. Get after it. This is not play. Work at telling others the good news. This is uh, you know God wants us to work hard for him. And people who are unwilling to work get very little done in life. Whether it's your studies, but you apply that to your spiritual life and advancing the faith. If you're not willing to work, very little fruit will come from life. You'll spend decades sort of dabbling but making no real dent. And so, work. This is why we see this pattern of in the scripture of work six days and rest. I mean, work is, you, 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 need, you need rest at night because you've worked really hard. That's, that's the point. I've, I've poured it all out in my life and through my job and in my relationship. I've, I've worked hard in a sense. Now, now rest. And take a day of rest to 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 recuperate, to worship the Lord, to, to uh, take a break from working, but you work real hard on those six days, and so this is a great pattern. The word work, uh, there's a challenging book. It's, it's geared towards teenagers, but and you may have seen this or you might have read this before, Do, Do Hard Things. Anyone, has anyone read this book, Do Hard Things? 
It's a really, really helpful book. It shares stories of people who in their, in their teenage years uh, just worked really hard at a teenage, so do hard things, a teenage rebellion against low expectations. Uh, forward by Chuck Norris. Now I know why you guys are smirking. <laughs> who else would you want to be riding the Ford but Chuck Norris? Now you really need to read this, but <laughs> what they're working towards is they call it a teenage revolution. Revolution. They're going to rebel against the low expectations of young people upon young people these days. No one expects you to do anything until you're like 35 anymore. But you know what? You, you can do so much in your 20s for the kingdom. So the, the, the charge here is just, you know, get, get after it. Stay after it. Learn to do hard things. Great book to read. If ever Christian Challenge... You know, Neil or any of the leaders say, hey, we're doing something really hard. Sign up for it. If they say, hey, we're doing it really hard and it's at the worst possible time for your studies, I'd say, if they thought it was a great idea, they've thought that through, sign up for it. If they say, we're going on a mission trip and it's going to be in a really difficult setting, you're probably going to get sick. You're probably all going to have stomach parasites. You're probably, it's going to cost you all the money in your bank account. You might have to pay a lot of it out of you. Do it. Do something hard. It's, it's the hard stretching things that produce the character and the fruit of, of, of a good fruit in life. So the, the question is, what am I doing right now that's really hard? What am I really working hard at right now? Reflect on that. Or what's coming up that's really hard? And you might be thinking, oh, no. This month is coming, and it's just horrible. I look at the calendar, and I'm like, oh, no. And maybe you're dreading some things right now. It could be that there's some tests coming up. Or For me, recently, I was looking at the month of March, which we're in, as I had to battle with it because there were so many things in March. I was going to be in Florida. I was asked to come up here to speak. I'll be at a summit. I'm launching something at our church. We're trying to build momentum for uh, uh, preparing money or saving money for, for our future as a church. We're trying to develop some very specific things and some staff members. And it all seems to be that March was the month that I needed to do. I needed to put attention to these things. And, uh, but those are the growing points. Those are the stretching points. And so I just encourage you, go after hard things in life. And then he, he wraps up with this fully carry out the ministry God has given you. He's telling Timothy, fulfill your calling. You got to do you have to be reactive and proactive to fulfill your calling. Meaning you have to be reactive, you have to avoid the things that can take you out from fulfilling your calling and for, from fulfilling the ministry God has given to you. You have to be reactive like when it comes to uh, accountability. <laughs> You, know, you, you want to set up things ahead of time, or you want to set up things as you, as you need them. Both, Well, that's more proactive, but accountability in your quiet time, accountability with your purity, accountability in your dating choices, letting people know who you're dating, uh, debriefing that with people in your life that you trust. Think this through. 
What ministry has God given you to do right now? What's your role that you're playing in Christian Challenge? Fulfill that role. What has God entrusted to your care right now? If you're a freshman, there's, there's probably still some things that God is entrusting to you. For some of you freshmen that were up here leading out and, and you know, giving direction for the week, you know, you, 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 you had to wrap your mind around that. You had, to, you had to focus on that. You couldn't just roll in here whenever you wanted to. You had to prepare for that. With whatever, with whatever tasks or roles you're assigned in the ministry, fulfill it. This is our call from God. So again, let's 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 look at this together. What's this? Let's read 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. Let's move forward to 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. Let's read it together. But you should here, let's pause. Let's pause. Let's let's really let's give it a little bit more heart, okay? Here we go. And say, especially the, the beginning, nice and strong. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Our role is not in the saving people or keeping people. Our role is is to be focused and faithful on the assignment. You, You and I will give an answer to God on these things. You can say, you know, yeah, but... They all left me, and so I did this with my life. Or, yeah, the pressure got really intense, and so I did that with my life. But Paul, he lived with a no-matter-what mindset, no matter what. He said, I'm finishing this race. No matter what happens, I'm finishing this race. Timothy, will you accept this no-matter-what mindset and, and pass that on to the next generation? And so the big question is, will we accept that for ourselves? I just want to close with this question, what does God want you to do? As we've looked this morning at, at chapter 4, verse 5, what, what, do, what do you think God is saying to you in reply? I'd love to give you some sort of a next step, but I think it's probably best if you just wrestle with God on this question. What is God asking you to do? I want to begin with a time of prayer and then just have some time to pray before uh, who's, who's next Okay, so before Ozzy and Sam come back up, I'm going to give you some time to just pray in response to God. But let me begin our time of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the charge that you've given us. As we see how faithful warrior Paul charged young Timothy, God, we we see ourselves uh, in in this uh, being entrusted with something great. You, you've, you've given us some opportunities, some people, some roles. You've given us your word. And so, Father, we want to respond to you. So, Lord, I pray that right now you'd really show us what do you want us to do. Help us to be ready to respond as you show us. Spend some time in prayer.